You are listening to Defining Moments Podcast. Hi, everyone. My name is Wong Lam, your host of Defining Moments Podcast. Thank you for listening in and showing your love and support to our show. A defining moment is a moment you define or the moment defines you. The world needs to hear about your defining moment. We learn from it. We draw inspiration from it. We cry with you. We laugh with you. We celebrate you. This podcast is your platform to capture and share your story, a story that will build bonds within your family as well as your community. When you share stories, we all gain a better appreciation for the unique people around us that we would not normally converse with. When was the last time you had a meaningful conversation with your neighbor, said hi to a total stranger, or even hugged a friend? Be interested in others. Be a good listener. Have that deep, meaningful conversation. Join the conversation. I'd like to acknowledge my beautiful wife, Margie, for her amazing work on this podcast. And to the guests that's taken their time and showed courage to come onto this podcast to share their story with you. This is episode number 21 with Mike Bros, CEO of the Mental Health Association of Oklahoma. Mike takes you on his journey through his personal life, his proudest moments as CEO of the Mental Health Association of Oklahoma, as well as his challenges and his obstacles. What does CEO mean to Mike Bros? Mike I appreciate the time you took out of your day to meet with me. You are an inspiration. You are motivating. You are a very special person. Mike Bros once said, We need each other, and the sooner we can sit down and set our differences aside, the quicker we can work together to see real, meaningful results to the benefit of all Oklahomans. What does Mike mean, ask a question, and save a life? How does Mike enjoy life? What is the path forward for Mike and the Mental Health Association of Oklahoma? As a matter of fact, we know of one path forward for the Mental Health Association of Oklahoma. To find out more, tune in for the bonus episode we will be releasing tomorrow. This episode is brought to you by Margie Lamb, health coach and founder of Healthy and Hustling. Are you fed up with the dieting and the seemingly contradictory health advice out there? Do you want to feel great in your body and accomplish your goals in a way that's empowering and not overwhelming? For me, the answer was an easy yes. Five years ago, I was pushing 200 pounds. I worked out twice a day and counted my calories. I didn't really see a movement on the scale nor my body type. So I decided to check my ego and call up a health coach. Margie, as a certified integrative nutrition health coach, works with each client as a guide and mentor to build a healthy, sustainable lifestyle that will help you reach your health goals. She offers free one-hour initial consultations. To learn more, visit her website, www.healthyandhustlin.com. That's www.healthyandhustlin, spelled out H-U-S-T-L-I-N dot com. Have you ever scrambled with thoughts on how you were going to entertain your guest at your big event or big event that you were hosting, why not treat your amazing guest with live music? 
allow me to personally recommend to you a saxophonist that's guaranteed to bring his best every time he performs. Verl Tolbert is his name, his bilanguage, his enthusiasm, his smile will tell you his story. Verl played at my wedding and he was also a guest on this podcast, episode number four. A natural entertainer and talented musician, Verl T, the perfect choice for all events and special occasions, playing smooth jazz, R&B, neo-soul, blues, pop, and gospel music are his passion. Saxophonist Verl Tolbert is from Tulsa, Oklahoma, and has been playing saxophone for over 15 years. Verl T plays alto, soprano saxophone, electric wind instrument, also known as the iwi, with a heavy dose of soul. Allow Verl T to help make your event something super special. For booking information, navigate to verlt.com. That's Verl spelled V-E-A-R-L, the letter T, dot com. Today's special guest is the CEO of the Mental Health Association of Oklahoma, Mike Bros. Mike, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Wong. I'm delighted to be here. You know, this is awesome for me. Um, I've read a lot about you. I don't have a research team, so my wife and I do our own research. Uh huh. And this all started with an email I got from Brian Hughes, a friend of mine, about seven weeks ago. Okay. He copied me an email that was to... Matt Gleason. Uh-huh. Matt, Matt, our marketing department. Yeah. Uh-huh. And Teresa Tackett. Yes, head of our marketing department. Yeah. Uh-huh. And the email was simple. It says, I want to introduce you to Wong Lam. He's host of the Fine Moments podcast in Oklahoma City. Uh-huh. I want to know if you'd like to get in contact with them. And it was just a simple, straightforward email. And all of a sudden, I'm on this email chain and we exchange cell numbers, text messages, and seven weeks later, I'm sitting across the table from the CEO himself. Yeah, absolutely. Uh huh. Yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, I'm just Mike Bros. Yeah. I grew up in a small town in Southwest Kansas. Uh Uh, I've been in Oklahoma here now, my wife and I, for 38 years. Um, And, uh, you know, we take great pride in our organization. There's no, we try to have as less hierarchy as possible. Mm-hmm. We're all the same. Right. We have different roles and functions, but uh, it's no big deal. I'm tickled to be here. I'm honored yeah. that you would ask me. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Mental Health Association of Oklahoma. I know you have your Tulsa office and now you have an Oklahoma City office. That's and right. So I've read some, uh, a lot about your financials and how you started. Would you mind giving our listeners a little more in-depth dive? Yeah, so Mental Health Association in Tulsa um, started on December 1, 1955, and so back in 2005, we celebrated our 50th anniversary. At the same time, uh, almost parallel, almost starting, I don't know exactly the dates, but the but there was a mental health association of central Oklahoma mm-hmm. here in Oklahoma City. As a matter of fact, when I first came to my position 25 years ago, I came over. One of the very first things I did came came over and met the, the longstanding CEO, uh, executive director, uh, Mental Health Association of Central Oklahoma. And then we've done work together. And it just a lot of things went our way in Tulsa where we grew. Mm-hmm. And they continued to struggle, just to be completely honest about right. that. And then um, and then the opportunity came for us to basically expand. They closed their doors. We 
we took over to the programs the United Way of Central Oklahoma funded that we also operated in Tulsa. So kind of overnight, we became Mental Health Association Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. And we have never looked back and we never have regretted that. And we're relishing to take our mission and our ideas statewide. Yeah. So when you speak of mission, what's your mission statement? Well, it's working to promote good mental health through advocacy, education, services, and housing, and uh, in victory over mental illness. And, uh, uh, you know, that's our focus. And our heart and soul of our organization, Wong, is that we are an advocacy organization. Right. Those, that's a word, advocate, advocacy. Those are words we don't take lightly. Uh, those are very powerful words. Sometimes they're bandied about where eh, they don't mean that much. Well, they mean a lot to us because we, as advocates, are one of the voices that oftentimes doesn't have a voice are people who are affected by serious mental illness yeah. because of stigma. Right. Um, you know, you can't, the listeners can't see it. Wong's wearing a t-shirt <laughs> with a stigma across in a big red X saying, right. you know, uh, you know, no stigma. Right. So, uh, but, uh, we are that voice for those people and, uh, and to step up on their behalf and advocate for them to get better services, be treated with less discrimination and prejudice, right. uh, to be able to access housing, mental health care, physical health care, dental care, uh, to be able to live and have employment opportunities in the community. And that's what we advocate for. Right. I love that. And I can feel the passion as you're speaking about it. And your body language actually tells a really good story. It brings me back to when I was doing research and looking or reading some articles about you in the Tulsa world. As passionate as you are, you also have a lighter side. Uh, one of your first interviews, you wore a Hawaiian shirt to uh, <laughs> one of your interviews, is this correct? Uh, when my first interview out of graduate school, okay. I, well, I actually did the interview, I wore a Hawaiian shirt, and then I showed up for my first day. I've been a poor graduate student. <laughs> I had no money. I didn't yeah. think a thing of it. Honestly, I did not think a thing about it. I showed up for my first day of work, and I had a pair of Army fatigues on that I bought at a secondhand store. And this uh, Hawaiian shirt, I had bought it at a yard sale for <laughs> 25 cents, but I loved that shirt, yeah. and I, lo- I wore it all the time. And I wore that, and I knew something, though, when I walked in, and everybody in the office stopped and looked at me, and they looked me up and down, and I thought, <laughs> and I thought, oh, and suddenly I had this, like, my innocence was destroyed. <laughs> I thought, man, this, I guess this isn't cool, what I'm wearing. Yeah. But I still, I, you know, it's really funny. I'm actually looking online now for a new Hawaiian shirt. I've oh, long, yeah. that one long uh, rotted off and fell <laughs> off me at my back, but I love that shirt. I'm all about Hawaiian shirts. I'm uh, about the bright colors and the different floral patterns. Oh, and I had this. I'd like, a lot of them are cotton, and they, this one was more of a silk. Yeah. And the way it draped on me, oh, God. Yeah. I love that shirt. Yeah. I thought about wearing one, actually, to this podcast. I was like, you know what? I, I like the stigma shirt because I think that really uh, hits home with this this podcast, what you're about, your agency organization is about. Yeah. And so I'm going to definitely wear this proudly. I'm going to the energy match tonight, so I'll be wearing this shirt That's proudly at cool. the match. That's very cool. Yeah, it'll be well represented. You know, just a little, uh, one of the things I, I often talk about is stigma. Sometimes stigma even doesn't even, 
it isn't hard hitting enough for my taste. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times when I give talks, I'll say stigma is like an egg. If you crack it open, like an egg, there's a white and there's a yolk that run out. Mm-hmm. When you crack open stigma, outruns discrimination and prejudice. I like it. Those are the two things that run out of stigma when you open that egg up. Right. That's so great. That's great. I never thought an analogy. Yeah, that's what it is. It's yeah. discrimination uh, and it's prejudiced thinking and attitudes towards people who uh, we wouldn't have those kind of attitudes and prejudice that uh, towards someone who has cancer or has heart disease or uh, melanoma mm-hmm. or whatever it may be physically. Right. But when it comes to a mental health related issue, oh boy, let's get the, I always say uh, Wong is that the, the attitudes towards mental illness, unfortunately are about the same as they were a hundred years ago, wow. although the science has progressed a hundred years in what we know in the science and how treatable it is. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but yet we're still locked back in about attitudes, stigma, prejudice, discrimination, yeah. the same ones that were present a hundred years ago are still present today. Right. Right. And a lot has to be said too, uh, as someone with a mental illness, the, the caregivers as well, Right, I mean, they, that that's another situation in itself. That, that in itself is a whole n- another aspect of this. The people who are caregivers who are are exhausted, mm-hmm. frustrated, angry, right. um, but uh, you know, in a lot of t- and we, it's painful. I've seen them wear out, yeah, and yeah. and give up, right. uh, and just get tired. And a lot of times, that's where a lot of homelessness comes from. They've got a loved one or family member who is not treated, they're symptomatic, they can't get help, uh, and they don't have resources, and they, they're they financially and emotionally depleted, and they just say, you can't be here anymore, and they end up homeless on the streets. And wow. they don't mean it. They love their family member. We've actually seen families get reunited. They've got into our housing. We've got wow. them services. We've got them stabilized. And then we find out, and we've got them reconnected with their families. Yeah. And their families now have, you know, they can now rediscover their loved one because they uh, they don't have to be depleted. Right. Uh, they can actually enjoy their time and be together and see that. We've seen that happen a lot of times. Yeah, I've read some of the testimonies on your webpage. And actually, I've had in-depth conversations with a few of my friends about both sides, one being uh, the caregiving side. And then right. I, I have a couple friends that have mental illnesses sure not to a extent where it's like just overly aggressive right but, but mental illness comes in different forms and variations that correct L- lots of forms lots of sizes lots of shapes um it, absolutely that's true yeah and there's medications to a certain extent for that talking well. therapy medication right. uh self-care mm-hmm. uh exercise good nutrition yeah. you got to put the whole package in there yeah. you know yeah absolutely right one of the news clippings interviews that I uh, actually read about that you're, you you quote, were quoted as saying, one of my all-time great supervisors always told me, have the courage to hire people smarter than you are and yes. associate with people who are smarter than you are. What do you mean by that? Well, um, you know, it, my title is Chief Empowerment Officer. Okay. You know that? You know, I'm the CEO, but yeah. it stands for Chief Empowerment Officer. Did you know that? No, I did not. That's yeah, awesome. it's not Chief Executive Officer, it's Chief Empowerment Officer. Right. So the idea being is is to hire people smarter than you and then 
empower them to do their job Love and it. let them be their own entrepreneurs to do this. Cause I'm not smart enough to yeah. think all this stuff up. Right. But what we try to do is hire really good people and then train them, orient them, and then give them the parameters to work within and let them go out and be, and build their own business, so to speak. Right. And that's where, uh, to be able to do that and do it successfully, you got to hire people who are smarter than I am. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. That's a beautiful part about humanity is understanding that you're you don't know everything you don't have all the right answers but with a group you come up with a pretty darn good answer i mean it's an old old saying uh two heads are better than one yeah. i mean the more heads i can i'm always about when we have problems we're you know we've gotten to be when i came we had five employees long wow now we have we're getting closing on 200 amazing yeah and uh, I know. I I want to know how do we do? How this happen? What 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 happened here? Uh, but uh, you know, it's always been about. I always whenever we we deal with a lot of problems, uh, organizational problems, uh, financial problems, business problems, uh, you know, people problems, uh, system service delivery system dysfunction problems, mm-hmm. uh, and I always like my always thing is okay. Who do I need around the table to help figure this out? Yeah. And then I use my position as the, the CEO, if you will. I can leverage those people, not only from within the organization, but out of our volunteer base. Right. Uh, on the board or in the community or whatever, I can use my position to leverage them in. So let's always put, put your best minds around complex problems. I love it. Yeah. That's going to actually lead into my next question because I'm going to rattle off a few names for you. Uh-huh. Gregory Shin. Uh-huh. Wendy Frolic. Uh-huh. Mark Davis, and of course we talk about Matt Gleason and Teresa, and then you have a high-powered senior management team. How did you build this team, and how long did it take? Well, you know, um, when I came 25 years ago, there was a really good staff that already existed there. There was only five of us, uh, but they were good. And I learned a lot from them. I give them a lot of credit for teaching me. I've been a clinician. I'm a licensed clinical social worker by training. I've been in practice. My wife also is a uh, is a licensed clinical social worker, um, too. But we've been here, both of us, in practice for the last, well, be soon 38 years. And uh, But I've been in my current position 25. But prior to that... I had done medical social work for four and a half years. I was the head of the Department of Family Therapy at St. John Medical Center for five and a half years. Uh, I had done lots of clinical work, clinical supervision, uh, a lot of that kind of stuff, and working with families, what have you, and then working in in various things on projects in the community, all preparing me for this position as I Mm -hmm. look back on it. All those things had me prepared and what have you. So... uh, you know, how can you, uh, you know, one of the ways if you're going to attract really good people, and those people you name are stellar, and I would add Carla Myers' name mm-hmm. to that also, who's our chief financial officer, because uh, if you don't take care of your money, <laughs> it don't matter. That's true. <laughs> you can't do anything. True you story. Got, yeah, I mean, that's just the realities of the, uh, of it, you know, uh, I don't think any of them are willing to work for free. So, yeah. but, but to have those and people, and people, they want to, be in a place where they're not micromanaged. They want to be in an environment where they're empowered to do what they what they're good at and and what have you and supported, helped and what have you. And then they enjoy working in a team. Mm-hmm. Okay. And uh, so so there's two things. Uh, 
uh, and one, neither of them are money because uh, we don't we don't, we tend our salaries tend to be on the low side. Just to mm-hmm. be completely, I wish they weren't. Right, right. I don't do it because oh we're a nonprofit. No, uh, it's just because we can't we can't afford it. But I find that not only you can attract, but you can retain people who because they like coming to work today. They like what they're doing. They're excited about it. They're passionate about it. We always say we're. We're not short on ideas and we're not short on passion. Right. We have plenty of those. Now we don't, we're short on cash sometimes to implement mm-hmm. the, the ideas. Right. But passion, we are highly passionate about this yeah. because we get to see people's lives changed every day and there's nothing like it. Yeah. Well, because the, there's organizations that have a cap and I'm not talking about money cap, but there's a cap where people aren't as empowered. However, listening to you and watching you and your body language, I mean, you give your members, this organization, the, the leadership ability, you empower them with I that tr- passion. I try to. I tell them I'm, I'm available to consult with you, what have you. Sometimes I tell people what to do. I say, I, I, you know, my job, sometimes I say, no, don't do that. Do this. Yeah. I can do that. Uh, I try to also ask people. Would you mind doing this? Instead of telling people, would you mind doing this or whatever? You know, I don't like to tell people, uh, do this. Uh, right. That's not my first thing out of my head. I can use that tool. It's a tool. It's in my box. Mm-hmm. But but most of the time, also trying to work out a building consensus, yes. whether it's staff, staff and volunteers, volunteers, is to – and, and to build consensus is uh, is to create an atmosphere where everybody feels safe to express their voice, right. even if it's a contrary opinion, mm-hmm. and to push back if needed. And to do that, you have to work at it every day. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, sometimes the things that we try to do are counterintuitive. You know, um, somebody once said, you know, to to save your life, you got to lose it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and so that means you got to give power away and give empower people, give it away, encourage them, build them up and watch them and to watch staff grow. Mm-hmm. You know, MJ, who's our MJ Clausen, who's our new head of the Oklahoma city office here. She starts, she's been living, uh, in Tulsa working with us. We were so thrilled. It shocked us when she said, I'm going to throw my hat in the ring for that position in Oklahoma City, and I'm willing to move from Tulsa to Oklahoma City wow. for that position. We were like, wow, <laughs> really? And you know, she hadn't even been here very long, but you can just see already she's uh, fitting right in and what have you. So we're going to get to watch her help, her, watch her grow and help her grow. Right. You, got, you don't just turn people loose. Yeah. You help them. You support them. You consult with them and what mm-hmm. have you. So, you know, it's always a battle because sometimes it's just easier to be controlling. Yeah. But I don't think necessarily it's the best outcome. Right. Sounds like there's a lot of trust in this uh, organization. So. You got to have trust. Yeah. Does it ever fail? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, does it ever not work? Sometimes we have people sometimes that I tell, if I'm involved in the interview process, I tell people right up, I said, if you're looking to be micromanaged, told what to do, you're at the wrong place. Yeah. This is a place to come in the, in your best people will be attracted to that. I've mm-hmm. found it over and over again. We have people, Greg's been with us, I think, 18 years now. I kind of lose track. We have a guy that's been with us, a tw- couple people with us, 20 years. Wow. Uh, I've been there 25. Uh, we've had people there uh, 12, 14, uh, you know, 
they've been there with us a long time, what have you. And, you know, we, they may leave. And also the other thing is when people, I had one of my, oh, dear, dear staff and friends who came to me the other day. She called me up here recently and said, Mike, I need to talk to you as my friend, not my boss. I said, <laughs> okay. She said, I'm being recruited by another organization. I said, okay, all right. And I consulted with her several times over the course of about 30 days, and she finally called me and said, Mike, I'm going to take that other job. And I said, well, I'm disappointed and I'm happy at the same time. Yeah. And how can I continue? And we still text and call, and she sought me out for advice already and what have you. But that's the way it is. So you build friends. Even if people leave, yeah. it's successful if they're still friends of the organization. Yeah. We have a guy that was our uh, Denver house drop-in uh, in Tulsa, our drop-in center. He start, He was the first uh, coordinator we had in the whole program, uh, lives in recovery, uh, do, did great work for us for, eight, I think, eight years. Eight years, six years, I kind of forget. And then he decided to step back and take a break for a while. He's now on our board of directors. Wow. Yeah. That's how we try to do it. That's awesome. Sounds Mm -hmm. like a win-win situation. Trying to create a win-win situation for everybody. Yeah. 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 Another question is, uh, actually is from you, is ask a question, save a life. Uh What do you mean by that? Well, when you talk about... I don't know whether your listeners to your podcast know that, that on average we have 18,000 homicides in this country every year. On average, it's been that way for a while. Mm-hmm. We have 45,000 suicides in this country every year. And it's going up. Yeah. 45,000, almost three times as many, not quite, but almost more than twice as many. Uh, suicides in this country as we have homicides. And the question to ask somebody is, are you thinking about taking your own life? Mm-hmm. Are you thinking about killing yourself? That is a really hard question to ask. Now, it's not for me because this is my business. Mm-hmm. It's what I do. But for but we can't really, we'll never have enough mental health professionals. If, uh, if we, the only way we can ever reduce the number of suicides is if we can educate people in the general public how to ask that question that can save a life. Yeah. And that's why we promote question, persuade, refer, QPR, same ideas, CPR, cardiovascular, uh, pulmonary resuscitation, mm-hmm. uh, teaching the lay people how to, uh, if somebody has a cardiac event, uh, a breathing event, how to use CPR as a tool to save a life until the experts can get there. And QPR is the same way. Question, persuade, refer. Teaching people how to, and by the way, for your listeners, uh, the training for QPR only takes an hour, and it doesn't cost anything. We can come into your business. We can come into your faith community. We can come to your neighborhood group in an hour, teach you uh, QPR. And I've talked to many, many people. It's an evidence-based practice, but I've talked to a lot of people who tell me that that it's uh, really given them the confidence to be able to ask that question. They've said, I think I could... And it, and people, you know what they're you know what they're afraid of? Why they're afraid to ask ask that question? What's that? They're afraid they'll get a yes back. Yeah. And then what do I do? And so that's what the the class teaches. And people have told me, I think I could do this now. That's what we're looking for for QP, using QPR. Yeah. 
That's fantastic. And it's free. It's free. And we're doing, uh, you know, we've had all this, uh, uh, these two celebrities that died by suicide uh, recently. There's been a lot of interest in it. And we have done all kinds of trainings. We did one right here in this room that we're sitting in right now. About three weeks ago, uh, we did one in uh, Stillwater, one in Tulsa. Uh, We did two here in Oklahoma City. They were extremely well attended because people wanted to come out because of the attention that it was getting. But the fact of the matter is, the reality is, Wong, is that uh, people, there'll be, th- there'll be three people on average who will die today somewhere in Oklahoma to suicide. Three. Oh, my gosh. I know. And then there'll be 123 people will die by suicide in this country every day. And we like to say that's the equivalent of an airliner crashing every day for a year. A 727 airliner holds about 123 people. Oh 123 gosh. people every day, every day, every day. If an airliner, if we had an airliner, a 727 airliner crashed every day for the next week, there would be, it'd be on every media talk show. Everybody would be talking about it. It would take, it would engulf the news. Mm-hmm. What's going on? We've had a, we've had a 727 airliner one crash every day for the last seven days. Well, that's what happens in this country every day with suicide, but we don't hear about it. We don't treat it. We're not addressing it the way that we're not investing in preventing it, uh, that we should. And that's, that's a tragedy. And we are advocates and we're speaking out and, and your podcast gives a chance to talk about that. Yeah. I, and I, and I love it. I've been, uh, my friend, one of my good friends, his accountability partner for the last year and a half, two years. And he's been going through some tough times. And uh-huh. I remember doing some research on you and I came across that question, ask a question, save a life. And I literally asked him the other day, I was like, do you feel suicidal? Do you feel like killing yourself? Uh-huh. And like you said, I, I was hoping for the no, which I got. But if he would have said yes, I'd be like, holy shnikes, what do I what do I do now? Right. Well, you know, and that's what QPR teaches you what to do. Okay. And question, how to ask the question, how to persuade them to get help, mm-hmm. how to stay with them if they're acutely suicidal, mm-hmm. and then also where to take them. teaches yeah. you all of those things. Yeah. In a one-hour class, it's free. Right. And unfortunately, we have people, uh, it's unfortunate it takes celebrities to die by suicide. Yeah. And I don't know if your, your listeners know, a lot of people don't know this. So if it's a homicide, it's covered the news every day. That's why we think there's so many more homicides than there are suicides because of the way it's covered by the media. Um, if But in suicide, unless it's a elected official, a public official, a celebrity, or it's a part of a murder-suicide, ironically, mm-hmm. or if it's done in a public place. Uh, I've known people that have jumped out of tall buildings in lunch hour. Uh, and if it's done that way, the media will cover it. Mm-hmm. Now, we've had also, in the last 20 years, we had in Oklahoma three teenage suicide clusters. A cluster is defined as a, uh, a number of suicides in a small, air, a, a small population group, relatively small population group within a short period of time. And we've had three teenage suicide clusters in Oklahoma, two in Tulsa, 
one in the metro, Oklahoma City metro area in the last 20, 20 years. And it's interesting because on each one of those, when you had the third one, they all were three. When they had the third one, the media decided to cover it. Mm-hmm. And it was covered. And then there was a lot of publicity and a lot of interviews. Yeah. And the media suddenly is calling me. But my point there, uh, Wong, is that it's going on every day, but we're not, we're at, it's out of sight, out of mind. Yeah. Except yeah. for that family. Yeah. That, that's interesting. I'm definitely going to reach out to my community and see if we can get something going, especially anywhere. Right? We, I live in Moore, so I'd love to. We would love to come yeah. in and do that, Wong, yeah. with your, uh, your community, uh, whatever that is. And we can do it in any kind of setting. And, and they, they have a limit, a top limit on the number of people, but it's pretty high. Mm-hmm. And then they, have, they can do it pretty small groups too. Right, mm-hmm. right. Yeah, this this is a very sensitive subject because I, like I said earlier, on both sides of it, I know caregivers and I know um, friends that have mental illnesses. And right. So it's it's it was important for me, and I'm so glad that Brian reached out and Matt and Teresa reached out and to get this going today. And, and by the way, I just want to add on there that a lot of times families that are we, the term is we use is survivors of suicide so that means as someone who's a family member or a friend who has lost a loved one or friend to suicide they become what's called survivors uh and both here in oklahoma city and in tulsa we have a a survivors of suicide support group that meets uh here uh, at Walker Avenue office and then in, there's one in Tulsa uh, two times a month mm-hmm. and it's free and it's very helpful and sometimes people come and go for a long time sometimes people come they go once or twice or three times but they're with other survivors and a lot of times they feel so alone and to be able to interact and talk with other people mm-hmm. who are also survivors has a very powerful healing quality to it. Doesn't make the pain go away, but it does make it a little more manageable. And so, again, if your listeners um, are interested, just to go to our website, mhaok.org, yeah. and they can get the times and places for those support groups. This is amazing. This is really amazing. Do you think? With the rapid growth of technology, has that affected our mental health positively, negatively? That is a very interesting question. I I hear that question all the time. Uh, I think about it a lot. I try to watch myself. Yeah. Um, uh, I'm not on Facebook. Uh, the organization's on Facebook. Right. I'm intentionally not on Facebook. My wife's on Facebook. Uh, I have a Twitter account. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I think we've got some work to do there. I think we need to uh, maybe have more, uh, you know, there's, it cuts both ways. Uh, There's ways that, uh, you know, we're doing our zero symposium coming up October 4th and 5th. It's going to be in Tulsa. And, um, you know, it's one of the, this is the 25th year. This is, it's one of the, become one of the premier mental health education seminars that's for professionals, family members, people af- directly affected, uh, law enforcement, um, you know, who, citizen, general citizens, to learn as much about mental health as they can. And maybe you'll be able to come over. Yeah, that'd be we'd love to have you. Love to do a podcast from your okay. 
from the conference. You can have a lot of people in there to talk to. Let's do this. Yeah, let's do that. Okay. And uh, so, but um, we're going to have a deal on a guy talking about the positive uses of mm-hmm. technology, messaging sending people messages that are positive, reaffirming. There's a lot of ways that technology, social media in particular, can be real helpful. Are there things that we're not sure about? Gaming, I think we're still trying to study and get our minds around that. I think yeah. there's uh, I think there's some arguments uh uh, you know, we've been, uh, our kids are our kids more sedentary than they used to be. Mm-hmm. I think there's some evidence to show that they are. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that a good thing? Probably not. Right. Uh, but I think we got more to study there. But I think right now what we're looking at, it 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 it's, it cuts both ways, and I think we've got to be just very thoughtful and intentional about how we use it and when we use it. And, you know, there's a huge growth of sexual addiction going on right now. I saw where, I think that I read where the uh, WHO, the World Health Organization, just identified uh, sexual addiction as a form, a type of mental illness. Wow. And sexual addiction is, is not talked about. Um, it's uh, everywhere because people can go online and access very graphic sexual oriented material mm-hmm. online uh and uh you know and we our kids are doing it uh they're involved in it what have you and sexual addiction is a very serious problem but we it's still hidden away because we're so uncomfortable it has such a taboo attached to it but believe me uh sexual addiction in its various forms pornography, multiple partners. It is uh, um, very much, and I'm not talking, I'm not necessarily talking about something like child or pornography or pedophilia. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm just talking about uh, images and, and information, what have you, that's out there uh, that is adding to and contributing to this the issue of sexual addiction. Yeah. Yeah. That That's really interesting, and that's great because... When I, like you, I don't have a Facebook. My podcast has a Facebook. Uh, the Instagram is all about the guests. It's about you. It has nothing to do with right, Wong or right, Mark. Right, right, right. It's, it's about you. Right. However, I do see that there's a lot of folks out there using Instagram to take selfies and look at me, look what I'm doing, look where I am, look how I look, right? Yes. And people are like, oh, liking that, liking that. But that, that becomes, that's surface. And I really think that is. can really transform into like a what you were talking about, Mike, is a like a sexual type of like, oh, look at this person. Yeah, you know? and you know we talk about uh, you know uh, we've we've talked for years about in magazines and television about particularly the whole emphasis on appearances, particularly mm-hmm. if with females. Yeah. Uh, and um, now it's moved over heavily into social media. Right. Uh, and is that a good thing? And then you've got, uh, you know, you, you've got kids, males and females, uh, taking um, uh, self-photographs of each other and themselves and sending it out and putting it out on social media. And uh, there's nothing really good out of that to become of that, what have you. And so we've got a lot of work to do. I hear, I do consulting in schools Mm -hmm. and I hear, uh, uh, you know, I think we've got a lot of work to do there. What are the rules in the classroom with 
cell phones. Uh, you, the cool te- what I hear is the cool teachers, oh, sure, they let me uh, have my cell phone in class. Oh, the teachers I don't like, they want me to turn my cell phone off and put it up when I'm in class. I think we need system-wide some standards that are set, and then everybody comes from the top, everybody hears about whatever that is. Right. So we know everybody knows. And so we don't put our teachers into good cop uh, good teacher, bad teacher roles, and oh, I don't want to take him, or I don't want to take her. She won't let you be on my social media when right. I'm on there, or oh, I, let's take him or take her because oh, they let you, you know, get your work done real fast, and you can play on your phone. Yeah, we, I think we really need to do some very consider, you know, give that that needs to be thought out pretty quite a bit. I I agree with you 110 percent on everything you you just said. My wife and I talk about this all the time because. We're talking about having kids in the next couple of years, you know, and with the technology, I feel like it also disconnects people from each other. It does. Um, we, we, with our son, really social media was really just picking up as our son came through high school. We very intentionally put the computer he worked on out into an open room. It was in an open room away from the TV, but in an open uh, office room where we were through there all the time. We could always see kind of what he was looking at instead of letting him go back in his room and shut the door. Mm -hmm. That was us. Mm -hmm. I know that's probably the minority, uh, but that was, we felt like we didn't, we, he didn't know what we were doing. Yeah. Uh, he just knew that's that's where the computer yeah. is, and that's where I'm supposed to work on what have you. Again, now kids got laptops. I got now they got cell phones. Mm-hmm. He didn't have smartphones then, and so <laughs> that that complicates things a little more. But I think that, uh, and we need to support parents about that because parents get into, uh, well, uh, Johnny lets his mom and dad let him do it. Right. Or uh, marry her, her mom and dad, let her do that. Yeah. Those types of things. So I think we've got to really get some standards. And I do think these are mental health related issues. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. That's what I was going to ask you. How do we educate family? How do we educate friends on mental health, mental health issues, the signs of mental health, right? Yeah, we we really, really, really need to do that. And, uh, uh, you know, I get it uh, with the phones. Uh, they become not just a communication for parents. They're about safety. Mm-hmm. Uh, my son's 29 years old, and uh, if he uh, he's uh, f- a name appears on my uh, iPhone, uh, well, uh, my iWatch, I'm sorry, yeah. uh, on my iWatch while we're talking, I'm going to say, hey, Juan, we need to stop the recording here mm-hmm. a minute because I need to find out what's going on with my son. Mm-hmm. I get that. Right, right. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the responsible use of these of technology in a way that doesn't do us harm to ourselves. Yeah. Or, again, it's a huge deal among adolescents. Uh, the term is cyberbullying, and we use the term so much, it's come not to mean anything, but it is a huge issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just spoke to a, a class, a summer class of a, um, of a local school and they came in in uh, one of our housing programs and wanted to hear about homelessness and mental illness, what have you. And then we got on to um, social media and we kind of got on there. And then, uh, and then the question of cyberbullying came up. And I said, well, I'm sure that nobody at your school is involved in any way, shape, or form <laughs> in cyberbullying. You ought to have seen the discomfort in that room. There, they people squirming. 
they were looking it around at each other, mm-hmm. and you got the sense, well, uh, it's going on here, and who can stop that? Uh, that's why we we really promote in our safe team program peer uh, finding. Let peer it needs to be peer to peer. Yeah, we're a school uh, that we don't. That's uncool here. We mm-hmm. don't do that to each other. Right. Yeah. Right. That's that's great. That peer to peer is the accountability. You know, make sure that as much as it sounds kind of uh, like lip service, but having an appreciation for others, being that positive role model, you know, that it makes a huge difference in society. It makes a huge difference. And I think we've just got to, we got to really look long and hard at it. I mean, mm-hmm. technology is cool. Yeah, for I sure. I mean, we're caught up in, it's, uh, look at what we're doing That's, right I was now. Say, say, <laughs> yeah. Look at what we're doing right now. Right. You know, uh, it, it is so, it has, so, it's just like so many things in life. Uh, cars are wonderful. People die every day in car wrecks. Yeah. Um, you know, um, there are all kinds of things that are so fun, enjoyable, what have you, but we have to use common sense. When I, I used to, when I was younger, I used to go snow skiing. There wasn't anybody on the hill on the mountain wearing a helmet. Yeah, yeah. Well, now we're like, what? <laughs> when I used to ride a bike when I was a kid, helmet? We didn't have no helmet. You, I see somebody now riding a bike. I'm like, that dude doesn't have a helmet on. Right. What's he doing? Uh, you know, or seat belts. We never buckled our seatbelts, mm-hmm. but now we know. So I think, how did those things happen? Public education. I grew up in an era where... All the adults smoked. It, somebody that didn't smoke, what's their problem? Right. But my parents, that's my parents' generation, uh, I call it the World War II generation, uh, you know, that's the way it was. Um, and, you know, uh, net, but through public education, awareness of that this can be a problem, we can change things. Mm-hmm. World War II generation was also known as the greatest generation. The greatest yeah. generation, man. Yeah. Uh, sacrifice and courage. Yeah. 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 I think you'll get a kick out of this is I work at Chesapeake Energy. Uh-huh. And we're going through this transformation of being, it's called 1CHK. Uh-huh. And it's a culture of appreciation, inclusion, and the positive uh, vibe that uh-huh. our CEO's throwing out there and Everyone's. It seems like everyone's on board, and I really appreciate the uh, the enthusiasm that Chesapeake's showing for that. And then safety. Uh-huh. So safety is a huge thing on the rigs and the office. Oh, no safety! The gym everywhere. Safety. <laughs> you know, we talk about it too. We talk about we have a lot of our housing that we uh, own and operate for yeah. people with mental illnesses. Uh, we have a consultant we pay. She's a risk management expert. She walks around our properties. Yep. Trip and falls, uh, looking at, uh, you don't, you need another stairwell here, uh, not enough egress in case of fire. Mm-hmm. Safety comes first. Yeah. Always yeah. about safety. And I know in the oil and gas industry, I, uh, I grew up, my dad and uncles were in the oil and gas industry. Yeah. Man, those guys talk safety all the time. You mm-hmm. have to, it's dangerous work. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Right. Where do you think you made the biggest impact in mental health? Huh, man. Uh, well, the biggest impact, wow, that's an interesting question. Uh, I'd like to think that I haven't, I'm not finished with that, but looking back, um, I, I think probably I've played at least a small part in helping raising public awareness. 
I, I mean, there's been a lot of factors about that, what have you, but I think I've played my role, my part mm-hmm. in that. I'd say right behind it was my favorite thing still to do is I love my interns. I educate social workers. I have social work interns every year. I just spent some morning with a, a social worker in, uh, intern undergraduate from who's going to be uh, with us next year from uh, University of Oklahoma, from the Norman campus, and then we have them from the Tulsa campus too. And uh, I really, my senior staff, they get a little frustrated with me from time to time because I spend so much time with the students, but I love mentoring teaching what have you and to pass on what I've learned so I'd like to think that might be right there uh, close maybe one one a uh, that uh, I think the big impact is that instilling these ideas into the next generation of social workers so they can then carry on because I'm in the I always say I'm in in the fourth quarter early in the fourth quarter but I'm in the fourth quarter my time will run out Mm -hmm. the clocks I'm on the clock and uh, so I plan on to work uh, for a number of years more, but it's 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 less than a decade. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome because I feel like that's what happens in industries and organizations is like you have all this experience and then there's a huge gap and then you have the upcoming. However, what you're doing is you're planting that seed into interns so that they can understand what's going on, carry the torch per se. That's exactly right, yeah. Yeah. and 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 grow and go further. Uh, to exceed anything I've ever, ever dreamed of. Yeah, with uh-huh. the growth of technology and how fast it's going. Yeah. I think one of the exciting things, talking about youth, I think that it's interesting the young people that I come in contact with, they're much more comfortable talking about mental health-related issues and substance abuse and trauma-related uh, behaviors, what have you, than... I think than any generation I've heard Mm -hmm. and they are, they get it. I mean, they don't, they don't bat an eye when it's a mental health problem. They'll talk, you know, openly about uh, their own mental health issues. Now their parents might get all anxious about it, but they, monk with each other and stuff, they don't seem to have a problem with it that we before them. So that's to me, extremely encouraging. Yeah, that is. Mm -hmm. So what are your goals for the next few years, and are there any obstacles that you may kind of slow it down? Um, well, uh, I'm hoping that we can—I still think the rural areas of Oklahoma are generally untapped in terms of advocacy and services. They have services in rural areas of Oklahoma, but I think that by and large people are disempowered around mental health related issues in a lot of ways. Uh, they're not well informed or they haven't had opportunity to, uh, to find out what's going out there. So um, there are exceptions to that, but I think as a general rule. So one of the things I hope is that we, you know, continue to grow in Oklahoma City. I love, uh, I, I, I admit it, I've, I've been in Tulsa a long time, <laughs> that whole Tulsa-Oklahoma City thing. Right. Um, and But I really believe that we can learn from each other. I think we're the same DNA. I think that we're missing it. Uh, I think there's an opportunity with Tulsa and Oklahoma City to develop a, a uh, economic zone, if you will, mm-hmm. rather than see us competing against each other. It's how we're how we can actually be a zone to attract industry and growth uh, yeah. uh, into uh, economic growth into Oklahoma. And uh, but I think the rural areas are also. I'm hoping that we can uh, uh, really 
uh, connect more. I know next week I got a trip. I'm driving to uh, Lawton and okay. meeting with a group of people over there who really would like to work with us. I'm so I'm I'm kind of contemplating. Uh, the creation of some what I call affiliations. Uh-huh. Like if you live out in, uh, I'll use a. I'm, I grew up in Southwest Kansas, so out there in the Panhandle, there's a. You may have heard of it, Slap Out, Oklahoma. No. Uh, you know, if you just don't blink, uh, you we just went right past it. But it's <laughs> out there, um, uh, and uh, it's on. It's it's called Slap Out. Okay. And uh, you know uh, that that maybe there's an individual out there. Uh, who'd say, well, I'm just me, but I'd like to be affiliated with the Mental Health Association of Oklahoma. So they would just have an individual affiliation. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't uh, uh, pay anything for that, but they would be plugged in where we could send them information mm-hmm. to their email address or um, send them a notification of your podcast or whatever it may be. Or maybe from time to time, we have a couple times a year, we have an affiliate meeting. We invite anybody that wants to come in and come in and we meet with them and talk and share with them. And, and then maybe we have a, maybe it's a, 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 um, a group affiliation. Maybe there's a, a civic group in a town that would like to affiliate with us or a Sunday school class or a, a maybe Chesapeake has a, a, a site out in some rural area of Oklahoma where they're, they have a small office that's out there around some drilling going on out there. And that small office with Chesapeake could affiliate with us and we could communicate with them in yeah. different ways. And maybe yeah. from time to time, make a, make a trip out there and yeah. meet, sit down and meet with them. Or maybe then a larger affiliation, we would, we would affiliate with maybe a formal organization. So that's kind of what I'm working on. What are the barriers? I like it. Time, money. Oh, uh, yeah. Of but, but, but less money. I think more, it's more about time and to take the time to organize it and communicate and what have you. But again, I've seen as to my trip to Lawton next week as a part of that process. I'm going out there to have the conversation and I'm going to be bringing this idea up that I just mentioned with them yeah. and get there. I want to, I'm testing their reaction to it. Are you guys, what if we did that? You yeah. know, and so we could get information out to you guys and you could get us information. You could say, yeah. Hey, we're having, we need, we need this information. Can you help us there? Uh, Mental Health Association, Oklahoma. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think we can do that. Or no, I don't know, but let us look around, see who we know around the country who might be able to help you there a little yeah. bit. Yeah, that's awesome. I yeah. like the energy and the passion, sir. Oh, we got a lot of, <laughs> and I got a question for you. Yes, sir. This will put you on the spot. Okay, I'll put it this way: Would you give consideration to coming on to our board of directors? I uh, would give it some consideration. Would, yes, you, would you give that consideration? Yes, sir. Okay, I want you to think about that. I will. And I think you would be a fantastic board member for this organization. You're just exactly the type of person we're looking for. You, you're giving me chills. I'm actually super honored that you just asked me on this. Oh, podcast. I, oh, I mean it. I, I about halfway through the podcast, I thought I got a. We finish start to the end of this. I got a question for Wong here. Yeah. That's my question. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Thank okay, yeah. good. Um, aside from mental health and mental illness issues, how else does uh, Mike Bros contribute to society? Well, you know, I want to be a, a good husband and a good father and um, a good neighbor and a good citizen. And, uh, you know, I care about the environment. Uh, I worry about our environment. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I want to, you know, we, we talk about, just talking about education with our kids, everybody, 
all everybody's interested in, in education and but I, I try to remind schools and leaders, elected officials, is that, uh, and this is true for at work, in your home, whatever, if you're not mentally healthy, you're not able to perform at optimal levels. And I don't care how smart you are. If your mental health isn't solid, uh, isn't good, isn't got it rooted, you know, uh, I, I think... Uh, that's a problem. And I, I think also we've really got to, and we're invo- really involved in uh, criminal justice reform, which for us, have, I'm learning that's the that's the uh, flavor du jour yeah. in the political world, whether you're a red or you're blue this political season in Oklahoma, every candidate uh, is saying, well, I support criminal justice reform. What I've learned about it, it means different things to different people. Mm-hmm. To us, what it means is, uh, okay, uh, violent uh, offenders are going to have to be separated from the rest of us for a period of time. Uh, but 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 we've what we've done here in Oklahoma, we've incarcerated thousands and thousands of nonviolent offenders, and we need to move from punitive justice to restorative justice. Mm-hmm. And let's hold people accountable, but let's do it in a way that holds them accountable to uh, get a job uh, if they're able to, to uh, take care of their families, to help them get maybe more education uh, so they can get be uh, better equipped to get a better job and care for their families. Let's address their, uh, let's, uh, let's help them address their socioeconomic uh, issues, or uh, let me say their poverty, mm-hmm. uh, what have you. And so we hold them accountable. We do it in a way that is really more back into the community, not having them locked away and around other criminal activities and thinking right. and what have you, and so they can become really good criminals, yeah. uh, but to help them actually be restored. And so to, to divert or uh, transition people effectively who are nonviolent offenders out of incarceration, which, by the way, so your listeners, your podcast know, it's much, much more expensive to the taxpayer uh, to incarcerate people than it is to provide them services and treatment and care, address their, uh, make it where they can access their substance abuse issues if that's what it is. They can help them to get the training that they need, uh, address their mental health-related issues, their trauma events. It's much yeah. less expensive to do that than it is to incarcerate them. And we've got to turn that around because it's it's eating our lunch financially as a state yeah. uh, and as a nation. And it's interesting. It's one of the few ideas that uh, reds and blues can come together on. They're really pretty much in sync about that. And, you know, I always say I can talk to reds or blues <laughs> because uh, everything that we support is involves lower tax dollars and better outcomes. Yeah. Everything right. we do, right. lower tax dollars and better outcomes. So our color is purple. That's our company's c- color. I don't know if you noticed that. I did. Uh, a mixture, what makes up purple? Red and Red blue. blue. Uh-huh. Yeah, I like it. Yeah. You know, it's, it's almost twice as much to incarcerate someone than it is to send to adult drug court or mental health course, something like that. Right? Yeah, it, it's actually more than twice as twice, much. Wow. Yeah, wow. yeah, it, it's ridiculously expensive. And it was ten years ago and more that any well-respecting um, uh, candidate or elected official, they all ran on um, uh, tough on crime, mm-hmm. uh, lock them up, uh, what have you. And we had a bunch of we have we're dealing now with a lot of serious unintended consequences from that. If you have a felony conviction, you can't get a job. 
if you've been incarcerated, people are afraid of you. Uh, private landlords cannot discriminate against renting you an apartment unless it's a, involving a felony conviction. They can legally discriminate against you and prevent you from renting from them. Uh, they can't because of race, age, ethnicity, um, gender. Uh, they can't discriminate against you. Disability, they can't do that. Felony conviction or background? Yes, they mm-hmm. can. They can say you can't. I'm, I don't have to rent to you. Yeah. You have a felony or background, what have you? So you can't live in my apartment building, right. and that happens all the time. And so, you know, we have a lot. So they can't get housing. So we now we've just contributed to potentially the homeless problem, yeah. and then also we're separating uh, parents from their children. So we got all of the state of Oklahoma. Uh, we've got grandparents uh, raising their children uh, because the parents have been in, they've been incarcerated. So we've been incarcerated. We're really good at incarceration. Yeah. We want to be good at some other things here in Oklahoma, and I think to give people an opportunity. Uh, and we're talking. This is all about if you want to distill it down. If you want to talk economics. I'm talking economics. Mm-hmm. This is these yeah. are not these are these aren't just feel good issues. These are economic issues right. and economic prosperity issues, and th- those are the things we talk about. Sounds like we need to paint the state purple. Well, I think that would be. <laughs> I think to come together, reds and purples sitting down and having dialogue with each other. Boy, do we need that not only here in Oklahoma. My personal opinion, uh, we need it in this country. I absolutely agree, hundred ten percent. This podcast is about defining moments. It's about you. So you've gone through probably tons and tons of defining moments. Is there one in particular or two that you'd like to share with our listeners? Oh, man. I think uh, when I threw my hat in the ring to apply for this job that I've been in for 25 years, and a lot of things went through my mind. I had just taken a job, and I'd only been there six months, and Four different people came up to me and said, Mike called me up, talked to me, said, you need, that job is meant for you. And I said, well, you know, I just started this job and they're being really nice to me and I like them and all that. And, and it was the last second I just, I just said, I called somebody up on the, I need somebody on the board and knew her real well. She said, well, we're having a meeting tonight. Get me your resume. And I said, okay. So I, I got my resume and I took it over, hand carried it over to her. Uh, and that night, uh, I got a call from somebody and the board said, we'd like you to come in tomorrow night and interview. Okay. So I came in and interviewed and uh, was interviewed by, I don't know, there's probably 20 people in the room. Uh, wow. I know. And, uh, um, and, um, I, I don't know. I relish that. Uh, I wasn't intimidated by it. I know what I'm talking about. I, this is my business. And, uh, and then, uh, to, but to my real shock is the next day they called me up and said, we want to meet with you again. And they offered me the position and I was just shocked. And, uh, that, that I think that's probably the defining moment is it gave me an opportunity to sit in this chair for a period of time. Mm-hmm. I always say, you don't, the job I'm in, you don't get it you're honored to have it for a period of time. Right. Uh, it'll, it'll be one of these days here and it's not, it'll be sooner than later that it'll be, I'll hand it off to somebody else. Mm-hmm. So when you're sitting there with 20 people that you have no idea who they are, what are some of the questions that they ask you? Oh, uh, cause you weren't nervous. I wasn't that nervous. Right. Maybe I'm sure a little bit, but I mean, um, I mean, they asked me about, you know, what are my philosophies and understanding about the, about the causes of mental illness. Uh, they asked me, I don't, I don't remember. It was a long time ago, but, uh, you know, um, uh, 
theoretical, uh, my history, my background, what I'd done, what my philosophies of management, uh, what I thought about, uh, you know, uh, you know, the, uh, you know, coming into a situation outside when there's already employees there. Uh, one of them was also an applicant for the position. Uh, and, um, you know, how are you going to handle those situations? Yeah. What have you? And, uh, you know, uh, I mean, you just answer, you just try to be, you know, the best advice anybody ever gave me. And it was the kids I grew up with down on the street. I grew up in liberal Kansas, uh, be yourself, tell yeah. the truth and be yourself. Yeah. And, uh, I tell my students, I said, just be yourself. It's okay. You don't have to. Uh, just be yourself, just relax and be yourself. It'll, it'll all be good. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, that's awesome. My two, I've interviewed uh, people before and my two favorite questions to ask them. And it's just like, so number one, how do you enjoy your day? And number two is how do you enjoy life? Uh huh. And those are my two favorite questions because I feel like a, a lot of people are like, whoa, hold on. They're supposed to be talking about engineering or ask me some type of engineering questions or technical questions. Uh huh. I really enjoy asking those two questions because uh-huh. it's it's important. To me. They they are yeah yeah yeah. So how do you like to be remembered? Well, I, I think uh, I'd like to be remembered as somebody who uh, tried to make a difference in this world, wanted to leave this world a little bit better than what I found it, uh, and um, you know, I like to be thought of as a good husband and father, and uh, uh, you know, somebody was a good friend. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm. Where I grew up, friendship's a big deal. The guys I ran around with, uh, friendship is everything. And uh, I love being friends with people. And uh, even um, people I work with, I don't get to be friends with all of them, but I enjoy when the opportunity comes is that, that we can have a dual relationship. We can be friends. And I always say when I talk, uh, I, you know, it, this, you know, if I have to, um, you know, address an issue or something with a staff member. You know, I always try to remind look, this isn't personal. Right. This is just business. Yeah. yeah. I, if I'm upset with your performance, I didn't have to do it. I'm, you know, I can still ask them, how's family? Uh, how you got, you know, how's the kids yeah. or how's your parents doing? I know right. your dad's been sick. How's that going? That's personal. And not everybody can do that, I've found, but I, for whatever reason, I'm pretty good at that. Mm-hmm. I mean, it didn't have anything. I can be upset with somebody. I don't have to do how I feel about them as right. a person. Yeah. Uh, that's just, that's just business, yeah. you know? Um, and, uh, I really, I try to always keep those things separate. I, um, you know, personal, man, we're all doing the best we can. Life's tough. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to be a, a a cause of somebody having bad mental health. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure I am from time to time, but I don't mean to, I don't want to be. And right. we, I want everybody to have a good, a good, a good mental health experience in yeah. life, you know? Yeah. Well, two more questions because I want to be respectful of your time. Uh-huh. The second to last question is what are your morning habits? I ask because you are the chief empowerment officer uh-huh. here and you deal with a lot of people and a lot of issues financially, uh-huh. emotionally. Right. So do you have any morning habits? Well, I try to get up in the mornings early and, and I, I don't always, but I try to get up early enough either to have quiet time uh, with my God mm-hmm. or, and or to, um, uh, I'm trying to write, do some writing. 
and uh, trying to write some of these things down yeah. uh, and uh, in the form of essays, little mini essays. And I'm trying to do that. I'm trying to be disciplined to do it. It's hard for me, but I'm working at it. Yeah. And those are my best thinking times is in the morning. Uh, I have trouble at night. I get tired and, um, and it's harder for me at night. But in the morning, so it's a, I love early morning. Uh, my favorite thing is to on a Saturday morning to be up at six a.m. Yeah, so uh, yeah, I really like it. Yeah. Last question: How do we get in touch with you? How do people reach um, out to you? Yeah. Um, well, my uh, cell phone is actually on my business card. Yeah. Nine one eight eight five zero six three two seven, and they can text or call me. Um, if they call me, leave a message. Uh, I, a lot of times if I don't see a name, I won't answer. I'll wait and hear the voicemail. But uh, they can also text me, identify themselves and text me. Or they can email me at mbros at mhaok.org. And, uh, or they can call uh, 918-585-1213 or 405-937-4700. That's impressive. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. remember all those numbers. Yeah, I tried to. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, Mr. Rose, thank you so much for your time. It's been an honor sitting here across the table from you. It has been an honor for to come in and be interviewed. Uh, gee, uh, Wong, everybody likes to talk about themselves, and you just gave me an hour of it and <laughs> that opportunity. But I feel like it's been a real give and take. And obviously, you did your homework. You are very curious about your world and you care about your community and your state. And, uh, you know, we need more people like you and your wife, uh, here. You guys are going to, you guys make Oklahoma what we are and what we can be. Thank you very much, sir. You're welcome. Okay. I truly hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you have a defining moment or moments you would like to share, please reach out to me. I would love to visit with you about it and share it with the world on a podcast. Here's how to find me. Visit my website, www.definingmomentspod.com. Follow me on Twitter at DefMomentsPod. That's at D-E-F Moments Pod. Search me on Facebook, Defining Moments Podcast. Follow me on Instagram at Defining Moments Podcast. That's all one word, at Defining Moments Podcast. Subscribe to Defining Moments Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you enjoyed listening to this show, I would be extremely honored if you gave us a review. This helps boost this podcast so more people can find it. Go out and be a positive influence today, every day. Make someone smile. My name is Wong Lam, and I approve this podcast. <laughs>